you would grab a Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be starting this uh, assembly period there, Ephesians 4. It is good to see you this morning. And uh, I guess we're, well, from my perspective, we're leaning a little left this morning. We got a lot more over here than over here, so is that okay? Can we lean left? I don't know. This is probably not the good time of year to make jokes like that. But uh, good to see you. Glad to, glad to have you here. And uh, this, is, uh, I, this is something I've been looking forward to. I have missed Q&A morning. Uh, we typically have Q&A morning this morning, the second Sunday morning of the month. And uh, we weren't able to do that for several months because we were um, only having one service for most of that time. And uh, so since we've been able to do our regular um, assembly period, uh, we'll be able to uh, work this back in. And uh, I have some questions. I just want to remind you uh, what we do on Q&A morning first, which is these are questions that have been previously submitted to me, things you've asked me. Uh, Usually I hope that you will write them down or text me or email me if some way that I can have a record of it. Uh, And uh, there are questions that have been previously answered that I have developed how I would respond in, in a more formal and extended way, and uh, then I'll answer those questions for the benefit of everyone. Uh, so it's not a, uh, a back and forth, but it's something that I'm going to uh, basically monologue. And then if you still disagree, we'll talk about it again, and you can ask another question, and maybe we'll talk about it further. Um, I do want to say, um, because of all of the pandemic and everything, uh, I have a lot fewer questions than I did Prior to that, I don't know if that means you guys are all answering your own questions or if you're asking other preachers. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, but feel free to, to send me more. Uh, but uh, the questions that we're going to talk about this morning are questions that I brought on myself. Uh, so uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, I preached a lesson about Jesus and traditions, and I mentioned in a kind of an offhand way uh, that those who believe or teach that gambling is sinful or that all forms of dancing are sinful, are, those are traditional beliefs. And uh, so I had a couple of questions about that. And I said at the time, uh, these are not things we're going to get into this morning, because that was a lesson about traditions, but I figure we can get into them today. So those are going to be the two questions that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so first of all, uh, is gambling a sin? That's the first question. And I want to take some time and talk about gambling and talk about Uh, this way of labeling or thinking about it. So Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 28. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So this is part of that section that says there are things we used to do, and when we come to Christ, those things change. So what we used to do is maybe steal, and he says, Let the one who stole steal no longer but instead of stealing, there's, in this section, there's always something you replace it with, something positive, something good that you can channel your energy into. And so he says, instead of stealing, labor with your hands what is good, and uh, so you can have something to give to the one who is in need. So what, what I want to do, uh, thinking about this idea of work and labor, I kind of want to present this in the way that I've heard this presented. When I have heard people talk about gambling as a sin... Uh, there's a series of arguments that I've almost always heard with that. And I, I think we need to start by saying if we're going to call something a sin, then the burden of proof on that rests with the one who is condemning. 
If I'm going to condemn something, I have to tell you why it's wrong, and I need to have Bible behind me. We don't have the authority to say, Jacob decrees this is a sin. At rooting for any team besides Texas A&M is a sin. I decide it. Okay? I don't have that authority, and you can laugh at me, but I think sometimes we need to remember that when it comes to moral things. Uh, when it comes to moral things, we don't have the right to decide this is right or wrong for someone else, and we don't get to speak for God about that. So calling something a sin when God does not has a burden of proof to it. And I want us to feel that instead of the other way around where it's something where I feel like I have to justify uh, doing something that, that the Bible doesn't say anything about or doesn't specifically condemn. So what's missing in the discussion about gambling biblically is the, the, a passage that mentions gambling in any kind of critical, negative, or condemning way. It's just not there. So we, we have to start with that. There's a lot about, for example, casting lots in the Bible and the idea of uncertainty, the idea of making decisions, sometimes even the idea of dividing things, like the, uh, the men, soldiers, casting lots for Jesus' garments after, at his crucifixion. And so they're, they're dividing something. We could call that gambling. You know, it's a basic idea. But there's nothing said there that is, this is wrong. This is sinful. Now, we might say, well, that's a shame. But really, the real shame is that Jesus is on the cross, not that his clothes are being gambled for. That's not really the point of that text. So, so we have this, then this issue of, if we're going to call it sinful, there's no passage that says that. So... Usually the way I have heard this talked about is to talk about gambling as a sin from a series of arguments. Now, the first one is uh, Christians make their money by working. And so we've read this passage in Ephesians 4.28, let him labor with his hands what is good that he can have something to give to the one who's in need. Now, the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is strongly supportive of the idea of working to have something for yourself, to provide for yourself, and to take care of others. You even see that about... uh, something to give to the one who has need uh, in that text. And I think we need to say that emphatically. We need to teach that to our children. We need to stand up for that, that this is the way God expects us to make money, that we don't just uh, sit around and let other people provide for us, but we work to provide for ourselves and our own families. But uh, the, the issue I have with this argument with regards to gambling is that if we're going to say that Christians make money by working, really what we're trying to say is that Christians can only make money by working. And I think none of us would really be comfortable with that in practice uh, because there are times when we do receive money or make money in other ways than just money we've worked for, and we don't say, oh, it's a sin. I can't have that because I didn't work for it. Uh, So, you know, I'm talking about some kind of windfall. I'm talking about refunds. I'm talking about gifts. You know, there's lots of ways we make money or receive money. And we don't say, no, those are wrong because you didn't work for that. We say, no, that, that's just kind of in addition to the basic way I'm going to make my living, which is always going to be Ephesians 4.28, the idea of, of working to provide for my own. So I don't think we refuse those kinds of other income on, the, on any kind of moral basis. If you do, then that's fine. That's your choice. But I don't think we can say that that's wrong to receive money in a different way. So I agree with this principle, but I believe there's a jump from saying this is the way Christians make their money to then saying anything else is sin. To me, there's a jump there that I'm not willing to make. Uh, The second argument I have typically heard about gambling being a sin is that gambling is motivated by greed. And of course, the Bible frequently condemns greed. We talked a couple of weeks ago about idolatry, how Paul says in a couple of places covetousness is 
idolatry. And Jesus speaks specifically, beware of covetousness. Greed is a problem. Paul says uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So, I mean, this needs to be said, and we need to say it clearly, that greed is an issue, and greed is a heart issue. It's a motive issue, and we need to be aware of our own motivation about it. And I also don't deny that most gambling is motivated by greed. I don't know how you could deny that. Uh, because most of the time, if you were to just kind of take money out of it, it would be a lot more boring for most people. They wouldn't be as interested. Uh, and especially, you can see, whether you're talking about the lottery or casinos or whatever you're talking about, that when you increase the stakes, you increase the interest and the participation because people want to make money. Okay, So that would be exciting for them. I understand that, and I think that is a greed issue. The problem I have with using this argument to say that gambling is a sin is that it contains a logical fallacy. The fallacy is this. Just because I can do something from a poor motivation doesn't mean the thing I'm doing is wrong. Think about it. Do we ever come to church, assemble ourselves for the wrong reasons? Sometimes we do. So does that make assembling ourselves wrong? Well, no. Or, or let's say... Sometimes we could use a computer to look at pornography. I could have a computer for a bad reason. Does that mean computers are wrong? No, you see, that's the fallacy. We, we begin to blame the act because sometimes we have a poor motive with the act. And so it seems to me that that's an issue where we can't say it's the gambling that's the sin. I think instead we have greed, which is a much bigger and broader thing. And we can do a lot of things that are otherwise good from a greedy heart, and suddenly the thing itself is corrupted. But I don't get to the point where I say, well, gambling has to be wrong because sometimes people do it from a wrong motivation. So we should always examine our motives, always beware of covetousness, but that's not the same as saying a thing as a sin. Those are two different issues to me. Uh, the third argument I've heard about gambling being a sin is that gambling is unloving. That is, since we're supposed to show love for our brother, uh, gambling is actually about kind of hurting them and taking their stuff. Excuse me. So, so they're, yeah, they may be freely offering it, but does that really matter? Really, at the end of the day, if I win, they lose. And usually this, the kind of gambling this argument has in mind is, is maybe like we're all at a poker table or something like that, and, and so I'm directly taking from my brother. And sometimes this kind of argument is made with more a systemic gambling, like a big casino or the gambling industry, and you say, well, whatever you receive as a payout from your gambling, you're really taking from other people, and most of the time, they're the poor or the addicted, you know, that, that casinos and the, the industry uh, preys on. Now, I agree completely that we need to think about the impact our actions have on other people and have on our brothers, and that that is in a one-on-one -on -one situation. I also think that we need to think about that in a more systemic way, that sometimes the way we use our money affects people and affects people in our country and in other countries. And I think those are thoughts that, to be having because we want to be loving and we want to show care about that. But again, I, I come down to an issue here about gambling itself that I think we have... Um, maybe taken an idea that in some settings we would say that's bad, and we've run a little too far with it. So let's just say uh, there's a, I, I've got me and a couple of my friends, and we decide we're going to play some poker, and we're going to have a quarter. We're all going to bet a quarter, okay? And I win, so I win, let's say, 
a quarter from each of my friends, and I've got a dollar where I only had a quarter before. Have I been unloving to take my friends' quarters? Do you hear the problem? In that setting, we would say, uh, uh, come on, a quarter? That's not a big deal. Now, it's totally different, isn't it, if you start increasing the money. If you say, oh, no, I took my friend's house, that's unloving. That's a problem, okay? If I took my friend's full-year salary, you see what's happening? It's not the gambling that's the problem. It's about, in some situations, you're not thinking about how your behavior impacts others. Instead, you're motivated by your own greed, and you can see, I mean, you can hear in those scenarios, you know, if, and, and we've all seen this maybe in a, portrayed in TV or in the movies or something, where, where the stakes keep getting raised, and suddenly, you know, we can't back out, and so, so much is on the table. And to take that and insist on that, yeah, that's a problem. That's a love problem to me. But the idea that that's just inherent in gambling is, again, a logical fallacy. I think what we're really trying to say is we're not thinking about the impact of our behavior on other people. And if that's the case, that's a much bigger and broader problem than just what happens with gambling. But again, I don't get to the point where I say this is wrong. I do believe that there are a lot of situations where it could be that gambling is unloving, but it is not, by definition, unloving. The other thing I've heard is uh, that gambling involves risk. So I was raised hearing lots of arguments about risk, um, that there was a risk we could lose our money. And then I remember being in Bible classes where this was talked about, which, by the way, this is not a Bible class because I, I know I'm, I'm in uh, difficult territory here, and uh, we might just totally lose our way if everybody started talking. But what would, what would happen? Somebody would talk about risk, and then somebody would say, well, wait a minute. What about uh, the stock market? Is it wrong to play the stock market? And then there would be this, well, no, no, not that kind of risk. See, in the stock market, you own something, and then there's a risk that that venture might go bad, but you're just speculating about an outcome by investing with them. I, I never really got to the bottom of why some risk was okay and some risk was not. Why is risk wrong generally? Investments are a risk. That's why when you see investments advertised, they'll have a disclaimer about past performance doesn't indicate future results because they know it's a risk and you know it's a risk. But I have yet to come across a Christian. I know that they're out there, so if one of you is here, that's fine. But I've yet to come across a Christian who said that we should never invest in anything because it's risky. I think we understand that life has risk inherent in it. All forms of life. That when we talk about insurance, insurance is a way of mitigating risk. Risk is a part of our lives. And that doesn't make any of those things, investments, insurance, any of those things, wrong. Instead, I think we just have to say, well, risk is something that we involve ourselves in, we'll like it or not, and that doesn't make something wrong. So, is gambling a sin? Well, these are the things I have heard in defense of that. And I remember because we don't really have a passage that addresses it for better or for worse. But I remain unconvinced that gambling is a sin. And I have to say this. My, my role is as a Bible teacher. And I have to teach the Bible. I cannot say that the Bible says something the Bible does not say. And the Bible does not say gambling is a sin. It does not say that. So I have to say that. And I am very concerned about our tendency to make our own moral judgments about things and then stick the word sin on them. 
So I have decided this, and now I decide this is a sin. I decide. Just like I decide you root for any other team than my team, it's a sin. I don't have the authority to do that. None of us do. But I'm not done talking about gambling. I'm not done. The fact that gambling is not a sin does not mean it's a good idea. I talked earlier this year about moving from can to should. And in that lesson, I know you guys have slept since then, but in that lesson, I talked about the idea that sometimes with moral decisions, we get locked into a can I do it? Is it sin or not? And we get into those discussions about all kinds of issues. And and if we decide, you know what, the Bible doesn't condemn it, then we just say, oh, great, I get to do it. And I think we need to grow past that mentality to where instead of just thinking about is it a sin or not, we begin to ask the question, should I do this? Is this wise or not? Or is it that God, before he can ever influence us to do something that we want to do or not to do something, that God has to to hammer it and say, no, that's sin, and everything you can't do is sin. We need to learn better moral reasoning. So what would that look like with gambling? These are the questions I would encourage you to ask about gambling. Not those arguments that we've just seen that are really about proving it's a sin when the Bible doesn't say that. The questions I would ask are, what about stewardship? All that we have, Scripture teaches, especially our gifts, are from God with the expectation that someday we're going to give account for how we've used all that we have, who we are, what we have, including our money. So the question then is, is gambling really the best use of our money? Really, honestly, seriously, best use of our money. You could not find anything that you could do with that money that would be better than that. Now, I understand sometimes we waste our money. Sometimes we spend our money on frivolous things. But that does not somehow exempt us from the concept of stewardship with regarding any of those decisions. That we still have to be aware that how we spend what we have and how we use what we have matters to God. So maybe God does not say, this is an absolute sin, you've done wrong to do it. But what would God think if we waste his money? And and usually, by the way, depending on what kind of gambling you're doing, they will have to print the likelihood that you will make any money if you play their game. And usually the likelihood of you doing anything besides wasting your money is extraordinarily, astronomically small. I guess astronomically small is not true. Infinitesimally small. What about addiction? What about addiction? Uh, Compulsive gambling, problem gambling is a major problem. When a behavior is known to be addictive, shouldn't that raise some red flags for us? Christians are taught we're not to be brought under the power of anything. We're not to be mastered by anything. And I believe that anything is as broad as it could be. If we're aware of that, and we're aware that this tends to do that, are we being careful and being honest about that? We need to consider what is it associated with. I will just say this about gambling. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Do I need to say more? What's it associated with? What are my motives? What are my motives? Boy, we've got to think about this. What am I really after? Why? 
do I want to do this? What am I thinking? And am I being honest with myself? Those are questions that I believe will help us make moral decisions. Whether something is sin or not, these are questions that we can take with us and start asking about all the different things that we have to make decisions about. And I would encourage us to move away from a, is it sin or not sin? I don't think that's really helping us to a question of, should I do this? Is this wise? Is this good? And I believe that will help us mature in our decision making. Now, my original point, when I talked about this in the lesson a few weeks ago, was that this idea that gambling is a sin is a traditional belief. And if we refuse to to gamble, it should not be because it's sinful, because that's not what the Bible teaches about it, but because we have determined it to be unwise. And I believe that difference matters in terms of both honesty and motivation. All right, so that's question one. Uh, Question two is, are all forms of dancing sinful? So the other example I gave uh, was saying that all forms of dancing are sinful. That, That teaching is a traditional belief. The idea I am getting at here is that the word dancing can really easily be an umbrella term for a whole bunch of things. Just think of all the different things that we call dancing. You know, things that we do individually where any kind of movement that we do just on our own is dancing. There are sexual type dances. There's break dancing, belly dancing, square dancing, okay? All kinds. They're all one umbrella term, right? Dancing. So can we say dancing is sinful? Can we say it in that form? Dancing is sinful. Well, Let's look at a couple of things. Let's look in 2 Samuel 6. I want to show you there's some dancing in the Bible. There's some good dancing and there's some bad dancing, which should already start to answer our question. Second Samuel 6 and verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, she doesn't despise him because she doesn't like dancing. She despises him because she's mad at him because they haven't been together for a long time. But uh, down in verse 20, it says, David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. I hope you can here, uh, there's some tension in their marriage. Um, they are barking back and forth. And we, we're not going to go into all of that. But let me just say, David's dancing here is a celebratory dance of worship and praise. And it is a, a signal for how much he is celebrating the fact that the ark is coming into the city and praising God. There is dancing and worship in the Bible. Miriam dances. Uh, you have this dance. You have dancing in the story of Jesus' Jesus story, the prodigal son coming home, and they have a party, and there is music and dancing. So there's there's dancing that seems to be approved of, seems to be either innocent or even good. Uh, There's also bad dancing in the Bible. 
it's not bad dancing in the way that we're talking about, which is usually about sexual things and dancing, uh, but bad dancing. Uh, this is Exodus 32, 19. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing. Uh-oh. Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets of his hands. Uh, Moses, Moses really gets angry about that. Uh, but the dancing there is associated with idol worship. So it's not the dancing itself that's wrong because just a few chapters earlier, Miriam was dancing. But it's the dancing in the wrong worship-type service. In fact, um, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That word play implies some dancing. So you've got all of that. And uh, it doesn't really say dancing itself is the problem, although I think there is some implication that it should have been a little more solemn than it was. But here it's bad dancing because it's associated with an idol. I want to look at one more in um, Mark chapter 6. Mark 6. This is my inference as to this dance. So you may disagree with this conclusion, and that's fine. Uh, But it is the way I read the text, and it's kind of based on a combination of my suspicions about the text and my own experience. Mark 6 and verse 21, it says, But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased, me, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. All right, well, what kind of dance is this? So I think we would admit there would be types of dancing that would be innocent and uh, just, you know, I'm thinking of something like a tap dance or something like that. Um, I don't think this is an innocent type of dance. Uh, I think the fact that it is Herodias' daughter who comes in and pleased Herod and the guests. Uh, My inference, it may not be necessary, but it's my inference, is that what's happening here is this is one of those drunken parties where Herod and all his guests are sitting there drinking and this girl comes in and she has a very provocative, sensual dance and Herod, his jaw drops, even though this is his stepdaughter, and he says, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. I mean, what, what else would explain the up to half my kingdom? What, I mean, what, why would that make sense because of someone's excellent footwork and their tap dance? There's something else going on here. Just my inference, I would say uh, there is good dancing and there is bad dancing. Well, there we go. So, uh, based on the examples, and we kind of have a mixed bag about dancing in the Bible. Dancing itself is never condemned in the Bible. Now, that, that should weigh in our discussion. Dancing itself is never condemned in the Bible. But the issue with dancing is not the dancing itself. The issue has to do with the fact that some dances inject sexuality into the moves of the dance and sometimes are even simulating sexual activity. And that's problematic. Uh, We talked last week about the idea of sensuality when we were talking in 1 Peter 4. uh, And I mentioned that sensuality is the idea of sexuality even when it's wildly out of context. It's just sexuality everywhere. Um, So, uh, Ephesians 4.19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, so he's talking about the Gentiles who have kind of gone crazy in terms of their sexual desires. And so it's everywhere. They're greedy for it. 
Uh, this is Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So he is saying there are different parts of our lives we need to discipline. And one of those involves sexual immorality and sensuality. And that word uh, sexual immorality and the word impurity and the word sensuality are all listed as works of the flesh in Galatians 5.19. I don't think it's controversial for me to say that some dances have sexual elements to them. I would hope that's not controversial. Some involve very close contact. Some are intended to entice and incite sexual interest. In short... Some dances are full of sensuality, which is what we've been talking about. So even when we acknowledge that not all dances are like that, we also have to admit there is a little bit of subjectivity in evaluating a dance, right? Uh, What appears to be over the top for me might not be for you and vice versa. But... There are two courses here that seem to me to be ill-advised. When we take all the information we've just discussed, one is to say, blanketly, dancing is wrong. I think we've seen there's some subtlety to the question that doesn't really give us room to say all dancing is wrong. The other, though, is to assume all dancing is fine and that there's no danger in any of it. Both of those courses seem to me to be ill-advised. To me, there has to be a middle path. I was raised, I'm particularly talking about the congregation that I attended growing up, I was raised to believe that all dancing was wrong. Uh, To the point, I remember in second grade, maybe it was third grade, um, I had to talk to the teacher and sit out when we did square dancing in our school. I believed it was wrong. I was taught it was wrong. I look back on that. I didn't know the first thing about what sexuality was at eight years old, and I certainly wasn't simulating anything like that when I did do-si-do's. But that was the way I was raised. Some of you may have been raised in the same way. And that was a little bit disillusioning to me, to be honest, to to look back on that and say, why was that a problem when the issue is not really addressed that way in Scripture? I, I guess the main thing I want to say is, should we talk to our kids about this? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. They may be doing things they don't even realize they're doing. They may be encouraging feelings in others they don't even realize they're encouraging. And they need to know. We also need to help our children learn how to make decisions about things like this that can be problematic. What are we going to use our bodies for? What's the point here? What are we after? And it's certainly not. We can't have fun. We can't ever move around. We can't joke around with our friends. How can we explain the biblical logic about sexuality and sensuality? I'll tell you this, too. Um, I found this this week. It's a little tract called Is Dancing Christian? And it's important to me because I still have it from when I was a a very, very young man. Uh, I believe I was about 12 years old. And uh, I did not go to a little dance that we were having at our school. And one of my friends asked me, well, why not? Why not? And so, you know, of course, I was very, very shy, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't answer him. But I did go to the church building, and I picked up this little track, and I gathered up all my courage, and I handed it to him. <laughs> and he laughed. I remember to this day he laughed because I was deeply hurt, offended. He laughed, just looked at it, and chuckled. 
But then I looked inside the tract. Now, this is a tract that's called Teen Talk. It's addressed to teens. Dancing is wrong because of its motive. Dancing is wrong because of its influence. Dancing stifles social growth, which is because it's for, he says, for social weaklings who cannot build social relationships on spiritual and intellectual levels. It gives social pygmies something to do. Dancing is wrong because of associated evils. This actually says, and I'm reading, I'm quoting to you right now, 90% of the prostitutes of the land began their path to ruin on the dance floor. No citation there. Which makes me wonder if he just made that up. 90% prostitutes from dancing. Now, please understand, I'm not encouraging this behavior. There are problems with it. And we need to be very aware and teach our children about the problems of what Scripture condemns. But I will be honest, this does not help. It does not help to obscure what the Bible actually does say by our arguments that are not biblical and not true. So, when I look at that, it embarrasses me because I sacrifice part of my witness to talk about made-up facts about prostitution when I was 12 years old. Here's what I'm saying. We need to be able to teach our children and to learn ourselves how to make decisions without just saying everything is wrong. How do we make decisions in a world that has gray areas and nuance? How do we make decisions about what we go and what we do and what we look at? We don't make those decisions by just blanketly condemning everything or blanketly accepting everything. We have to use moral judgment. And we need to be teaching our children and we need to be talking with one another about how to make those judgments. If we're going to be concerned, let's be concerned with what God is concerned about. Let's call Bible things by Bible names like sensuality and sexual immorality and watch out for those things and warn against those things and not just make up our own categories and umbrella terms and condemn everything. So, wow, I went over time. I guess I had to get my tract out and that took too long. But I appreciate your attention. If you have more questions about that, I'm happy to talk with you about it. Uh, But we'll be dismissed for our classes at this time.